Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zerah Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Are you making the right decisions? Are you sensitive when something is presented to you that you need to make such a decision? Are you quick to pray? Or do you look at it from a natural perspective? We're going to see that Joshua and the children of Israel, the very leaders of God's people, they were presented with a situation. They didn't pray about it. They looked at things in the natural. And because they focus upon what they saw, they made a wrong decision. The things in the natural tends to hide the spiritual reality. So we need to train ourselves through prayer, through asking the right questions, going before God, that he would give us insight, that he would give us that wisdom, this one who is the only wise God, that he would share his wisdom so that we could make decisions that honor him. So is that your objective? Is that your prayer tonight? That you would join me saying, God, teach me to prayerfully make the right decisions. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Joshua and chapter 9. The book of Joshua and chapter 9. Now, we have seen since the children of Israel have entered into the land, and we know that this was true during those 40 years, there was conflict. Do not make the mistake of some that think, well, if I'm in conflict, I must be doing something wrong. No, usually it's when you're obedient to God that you find that you find conflict, the world not liking that. In fact, we know Isaiah 66 tells us that there are going to be those who are hated, who are treated as outcasts. Why? They're treated as outcasts because they want to glorify the name of God. It's because that they are obedient to God's standards of morality and everything else that the world hates them and wants nothing to do with them. So we need to realize there's an enemy we are going to frequently be in conflict and that enemy doesn't operate truthfully according to justice, according to that which is right. That enemy constantly wants to deceive. And the only way that we can stand against their deception is through prayer. Prayer oftentimes positions us, moves us, and gives us insight so that we can see things from God's standpoint. And my, do we need to see things from God's standpoint. Look with me to that ninth chapter, the book of Joshua, and verse 1. It says here, And it came about when 
all the kings, what kings? The kings which were on the other side of the Jordan. Now, most of the time, when we say the other side of the Jordan, we're talking about the east side. But this is not, and I want to say it again, this is not the situation here. We're talking about those kings that, that are now on the western side in between that great sea, the Mediterranean, and the Jordan River. And we've learned sometimes they were on the eastern side, but they joined with the kings that were on the western side in order that they might form a great alliance against, against the people of God and the purposes of God. You'll find many times that the enemy tends to be more unified in their objective than the people of God in his objective, and that ought not be, but it's a sad reality. Look again at verse 1. And it came about when all the kings that were on the, the other side of the Jordan heard. Now, notice what it says. In the mountain and in the lower land and in all the, the coast. And the great sea, so the coast of that great sea, and before Ha-Levanon. Now, it doesn't say Lebanon, but Ha-Levanon. And I would suggest to you that this mountain, when it says the mountain, is talking about Jerusalem. And when it says Ha-Levanon, perhaps again, it's not speaking about Lebanon, the country, but it's speaking once again about about that white mountain. Lebanon comes from the word white, and it may be referring to Jerusalem, that white mountain, not because it was white in color, but the purpose of Jerusalem is to bring about purity. Notice what it says. These kings that were there in that location, what we would call the land of the Canaanites, and notice it speaks about the people, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Chivites and the Jesuitites. Now, six people. Why six? Six is the number of grace. And we're going to see whether the children of Israel understand that it's only when one walks in grace that we'll be able to serve God. And part of grace is a desire to obey God when I receive God's grace. It is going to produce a desire for obedience. You say, I thought grace saves. It does. But grace, and I've mentioned this many times, grace has multiple purposes. God's grace produces obedience in this present world. And we see here that, that the children of Israel, it was only through God's grace that they were going to be able to obey his purposes and accomplish his will. But again, the testimony that we want to rely upon God and do His will is being quick to pray to Him for that insight. Pray to Him for that provision. Notice what it says. Look now to, to verse 2. It says, And they gathered themselves together. For what purpose? This unity of these uh, six peoples. It says, They gathered themselves together together to war we could say to fight but it's related to the word war to fight against Yehoshua that is Joshua and with Israel and then we have pay 
Echad, which means one mouth. They all were speaking the same thing. There was unity. We see that word beyachad and also pe achad. Those two phrases, beyachad together and pe achad, one mouth, it speaks about unity. And what the scripture is saying is that the enemies, those who are against the will of God, they are frequently unified. They are together in opposing the things of God. Unfortunately, God's people, we tend not to be unified. And the reason why we're not is because we don't prayerfully get counsel from God. We don't make decisions as an outcome of praying diligently to Him for that guidance. And many times, when we are unified, we're unified in the wrong thing. Why? Because we look at it from the same perspective. What perspective? from the natural. And whenever we have a natural perspective, we are going to fail God. And we're going to see this very clear in this passage. Look at verse 3. And the inhabitants of Giv'on. Now, they are there in the land of Canaanites. They are present in this group as well. But uh, they, they decide to do something different. Look at verse 3. And the inhabitants of Givon, they heard what Yeshua had done to Jericho and to Ai. They heard about this victory. And they had a different strategy. Not to come together with the others in order to fight, to wage war against Joshua. They had a different objective and we'll see what that is very very soon but they had heard all of these things and they were wise in one sense they were wise in realizing it's not good to fight against them verse 4 and they did also they and notice what it says bay or ma they did something with and the word, maybe in your Bible, is cunning, but it's a word that relates to being deceitful. And by the way, one of the things that can oftentimes help us to understand the meaning of words is if we ask, well, where does that word appear first in the Bible? And the answer is in the book of Genesis. In regard to that, that snake, that serpent, the Nachash, Satan, it says that he was more cunning than all the other animals in the garden. And this cunningness is a word of deceit. It's a word of lie, of falsehood, for the purpose of deceiving someone else. And that's what they wanted to do. They did not want the truth. And it's, it's a shame. Because if they would have taken this fear that they had, and if they would have went to the children of Israel, saying, we want to join with you. We want to be your servants. We want to support what you're up to. They could have seen a different outcome, but because they utilized what they were normal, what they were familiar with, deceit, they did not find what they could have received. Look again at verse 4. 
They did also they with, with cunningness. And they went, and what did they do? They, they pretended to be uh, diplomats. Now, this word is a word which makes oneself a, a diplomat, makes oneself a ambassador. So they pretended to be sent as an ambassador. And what did they do? Keep reading in verse 4. They took Sakim Balim. Now, this word, Balim, in the adjective, it's bly, and it speaks about wear and tear. In modern Hebrew, we have that concept for depreciation. You buy a car, and there's that wear and tear, and the value of the car depreciates. So it's this word, and it means to wear out. So they took sacks that were worn out. And they also, it says here, that they, they took uh, wineskins. Wineskins that also were, were old. And wineskins that were split. And also we might see here as being mended. So they took these things, whether it was uh, sacks or wineskins or whatever. They took these things, their supplies, in order to make it look like they were all old. And notice what they say. Verse 5. Still speaking about their appearance. Also they took uh, sandals that were very old and were patched upon their feet. So everything makes it look like that they are old things. Things that are worn out. And also they set upon themselves uh, dresses that were worn out. And all their bread all their bread and their supplies were were dry and they were and it's a word here for spotted but it means when something is old it can have mold it's moldy and you'll see those spots that come up so they took this moldy supplies of bread and such old clothes that had been patched shoes that had been also patched everything old old for a purpose and remember, they're coming with cunningness. They're coming for the purpose of deceiving, to cover up reality. That's what Orma is, to cover up reality for a purpose that is not God's. Verse 6, And they went to Yehoshua, that is Joshua, and to the camp. Where was this camp? In Gilgal. And they said unto him and to the man of Israel, and here man is speaking of the men of Israel, but they addressed them individually. And what did they say? From a distant land we have come. This is not true. They are local. And it says now, and this is the word for now with urgency. They're in a hurry. Now make for us a covenant. Now again, I don't know how it's translated in your Bible, but it has a word for making a covenant, which cut a covenant. But normally, we would expect it to say, cut a covenant uh, with us. doesn't say that. Cut a covenant for us. Now, that says something. This covenant was not for the children of Israel. It was not a mutual deal. It is for them. So when someone says, do this for us, well, if it's agreement, it should have, have 
positive things for both parties. That it would be a win-win situation. But they're not doing it for that purpose. They're doing it for themselves. This is what it says here at the end of verse 6. Cut for us a covenant. Cut is simply the word for, for making when it's attached to a covenant. Verse 7. And here, a man of Israel said to Chivi, that is to the Chivite, perhaps with closeness you dwell. Now, notice, they are even uh, aware of what might be going on here. This man of Israel, and here again, it's probably speaking of, of the group, the people of Israel. They say, they say, wait a second, perhaps, maybe, and it's word ulai, perhaps, with closeness you dwell. And it says, how can I cut a covenant uh, with you. Now, it's a change. Not for us, but for you, and it's individual. It's saying here, and the reason for the change of, of number is because each person is doing this with their own interests, except the children of Israel. They know, perhaps, there's some deceit here. Perhaps they're not being honest. Perhaps they haven't come on this long journey that we'll talk about in a moment where their, their shoes and, and sacks and wineskins have worn out and their bread and supplies have become moldy over a period of a long time. Perhaps this isn't the case, they're saying. So how can we at this time cut a covenant for you? Verse 8. And they said to Joshua, your servants are we. Now, they're willing to be a servant. So why the deceit? Why the lie? Why not be honest? Why not do this as a testimony? The fear of God has fallen upon us. We've seen what you've do done, how God has delivered you and defeated your enemies. Therefore, we don't want to fight. We want to join with you. We want to, as it says here, to be your servants. Verse 8, they said to Joshua, Your servants are we. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? They don't know who they are, that they are from Giv'on. And from where have you come? Verse 9, now these are good things to ask. Ask them to tell the truth. Ask them to give the, the information. And they said to him, and they're going to lie, from a distant land, and not just a distant land, from a very distant land, we have come, whose we, your servants, have come. Why? On account of. Now, this is for the name because of the character of the Lord of your God. We have heard about your God. We, we know what he's like. And because of his character, who he is, we have come. For we have heard his reputation and all which he has done with Egypt. And that's what he says. All what he has done, we could translate it in Egypt. And all what he has done to the two kings of the Amorites on the 
other side. That's that eastern side of the Jordan. What two kings? These two kings must have been very mighty and intimidating because they're repeated so frequently in the scripture. And we're talking about Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which is in Ashtorot. So, lot of specific information. They knew it all. And here we see some information that we don't oftentimes see related with them. They knew the situation very well. Verse 11. Say unto us, the elders, excuse me, verse 11. Our elders have said unto us and all the inhabitants of our land saying, take. So now they're, they're giving falsehood again that all the elders, all the people of the land, they've spoken to us, and they said, take in your hand, supply all the equipment that you'll need for the journey, and go to meet them and say to them, your servants are we, and now cut for us a covenant. And then they say to show that they're sincere, that this is factual. Look at this, verse 12. This is our bread that was warm when we, we supplied it, when we, we, we took it as our supplies from our house in the day that we went out to come unto you. So they say, you know, we put this bread in our supply from our home. It was warm. It was good. But now look at it. And now behold, it is dry and behold, there is this nicodim, these spots, these, these mold. And these are our wineskins, which we filled with new, meaning we filled new, new wine. Behold, they are split. And these are our clothes and our shoes. And they have worn out because of the abundance of this, this very, journey, meaning this very long journey. Verse 14, and the men took from their supplies. Now notice when it says they took, we're talking about whether it's the enemy taking from their supplies and giving it or the children of Israel taking. The point is the same. These supplies this moldy bread, these worn out supplies, the garments and the wineskin and whatever, they were taken into possession by, by the leaders of Israel, by Joshua and the people, that they examined them. And this is being emphasized. And why? Very simple. They are paying more attention to the natural than hearing from God. So let me ask you so let me ask you yourselves a question. When you are, are in a position when a decision has to be made, and that is very frequent our experience. We need to make a decision. Do we just kind of sit back and I think this is best based upon what I've heard, what I've seen with my eyes, what has been told to me, I make a decision based upon that, or that's foolishness, by the way. We need to take all of that before God and pray to Him. And this is just not my opinion. Notice what the scripture says. Go back, verse 14. 
and the men took from their supplies. Meaning, in my, the the children of Israel took from from their supplies, and the mouth of the Lord they did not ask. So the ones who are taking, in my view of the of the Hebrew grammar, it was the men of Israel. They took from the supplies. And the mouth of the Lord, they did not ask. Meaning, they didn't go in prayer asking God, God, what should we do? What is your will in this? How should we handle this matter? What's going to bring you glory? What is going to position us in a place where we will be blessed? Where we can demonstrate your presence in our life? That this will be something that glorifies and praises you. They never did that. And this is emphatic in the text where it says, The mouth of the Lord they did not ask. Verse 15, our last verse. And Joshua made for them. Now notice this. Normally would say, Vayasei itam Yoshua. And Joshua made or did with them. See, if it's a covenant, it should be together. The terminology is very important here. And Joshua and the people should have recognized it, but Joshua now is speaking like they were for us. He says, look at verse 15, Yahushua did for them, made for them peace. And he cut, notice, he cut for them a covenant for their life. Now, here's the problem. This covenant was a covenant that made and a requirement that these people, according to the words of Joshua and the children of Israel, they would have to keep them alive. That they could not uh, uh, do anything against them. Now, for most of us, see, I look at this and I can tell you that, that I would struggle. Because I would say, well, they lied. They gave false evidence. This is not truth. They didn't bear truth. So, we can attack. We don't have to honor our word. But notice something. There is a power with a covenant. And once that covenant is made, regardless, once it's made and enacted, that covenant is going to be carried out. This is one of the major takeaways that we'll see next week. That the children of Israel, despite the lies, the deceit, the false evidence that was provided them, the children of Israel is going to always honor the covenant. Why? Because God also honors a covenant. If it's a true covenant, God is going to be faithful to it. And you say, well... Someone says, yes, I received the gospel, but they're not uh, understanding every aspect. Maybe they didn't understand their obligation, whatnot. God's going to be faithful to that. God's going to show himself to be one who honors his covenant obligations. And now the children of Israel is going to do that same thing. Look at the end of verse 15. And they swore to them who did the leaders of the congregation, they swore. 
Now, we see two very important things, and I want to emphasize this before we conclude, and that is a covenant was made. That is a serious thing. Once a covenant is agreed to, even if, now here again, we're not talking about a contract in this world. We're talking about a biblical covenant, a covenant that is found within Scripture. And even though, and it's clear here, these people, they lied. They did not give the true facts. They provided false evidence or they manufactured evidence to support their false testimony. But because Joshua and the leadership, they received that and they did not inquire of the Lord, they are obligated, obligated to this covenant and obligated to their word because they took an oath. Now, we need to realize oaths, covenants, always, always, always serious. And all of this speaks to its example that the children of Israel demonstrated in regard to God. When God gives his word, he is going to be faithful to it, regardless of us. Now, all of this has a major message for us, and that's this. We can believe God's word. When God enters into a covenant, and let's make this relevant for us, when God enters into that new covenant made by the blood of Messiah, and it's ratified, how? With God giving his spirit. Now, I may mention the spirit of Messiah. We call it as well, call him the spirit of, of God. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit, when he enters into a person, God, that shows, that's evidence that that covenant has been ratified and God will always stand to it. We're not faithful to it. We're not always obedient. We, we, we sometimes uh, speak things that are not based upon reality. Doesn't matter. Now, is that good to do? Of course it's not. But when I say it doesn't matter, I'm not meaning it's not good, it's not important, forget about it. That's not my intent. My intent is saying, from God's standpoint, God is not going to have the disobedience of his covenantal uh, people be be terminated. His obedience to his covenantal people are not going to be terminated because of their disobedience. Let's make it personal, our disobedience. God is going to be faithful to his obligation. Why? Because of who he is, not because of who we are. Not because of, of, of our words, our actions, our deeds. When God says yes to a person, Yes, I'm redeeming you. Yes, you are saved. Yes, you are reconciled with me. Even if we don't stand in all the things, God always stands in his word. And this to me gives us great, great comfort, great assurance. And when I realize that, and here's the last thing I'll say. When I realize that, it does not cause me encourage me, motivate me to exploit that. Quite the contrary. When I hear how faithful God is despite 
my shortcomings, my frailties, my disobedience, my rebelliousness. God's still going to be faithful to me. When I understand that, it changes me. It makes me want to be more like Him. Not that I would want to exploit, but I would want to strive to be obedient. God's assurance is not an encouragement to disobedience, but God's faithfulness to His covenantal promises spurs a true believer, even one that's frail and sometimes disobedient, it spurs us to greater obedience in the future. And that's the wonderful thing about our God. Well, I'll close with that. Until next time, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.